There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. And welcome to another thrilling, amazing, spectacular, and splendiferous Paranoia Podcast. I am Olaf Phillips. I am the publisher of said magazine. On the phone, I have Ron Patton, our illustrious editor-in-chief, and uh, shenanigans puller. And uh, tonight we have a very special guest, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so, Ron, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Guy. I uh, recently moved to a uh, mansion by the lake, five-bedroom, oh, yeah? uh, four-bath, has a jacuzzi, sauna, yeah, well, it's all the big money that I'm making now with Ground Zero. Since I'm a Luciferian oh, okay. shill, you know, yeah, you get a lot of money when you become a Luciferian shill. So, yes, I'm I'm still waiting yeah. for my Illuminati check to clear. I have not received it. Yeah, yet. yeah, it, it'll come. It'll come. You're still it'll young. Come. Yeah, I'm still young. Yep. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> well, on the paranoia side. Um, you know, uh, we have a bunch of new stuff uh, going on. There are some new articles in the queue. Uh, Mr. Ron Patton is uh, collecting articles for another issue. Uh, we're trying to get that out, um, get that done, get uh, Paranoia back on a regular printing schedule. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're trying to, we're bringing the podcast back. Obviously, we're sitting here on the phone in the middle of the night. Um and we have some new t-shirts. Uh, we have the, we are building out the CIA airline collection from Paranoia. Uh, currently we have Evergreen Air. We have a t-shirt for civilian air transport. And we have a bunch of t-shirts that are actually pretty cool from Southern Air Transport, which is a big uh, CIA airline. And of course we have Evergreen Air. I've been to the headquarters. It's, it's creepy. And um, totally abandoned. Anyway, so all that being said, uh, keep checking out ParanoiaMagazine.com. Stuff is coming. It's just slow. And uh, don't forget, we do have a Patreon um, that helps us offset the cost of the podcast and other miscellaneous stuff. We don't spend that on ourselves. That all goes into just paying for operating costs, which are extremely low, but they still cost money. So uh, please contribute. Uh, you get a T-shirt out of it. You get uh, free e-copies e- of the magazine, all the magazine issues. And, uh, yeah, you should. How uh, many issues now? How many are we talking? Oh, 65. Whoa. So this winter will be 66. 66. Cool. All right. Looking forward to so it. Yeah, I am too. Um, I think we're. I think we've got a good direction for the magazine. 
got a lot of positive feedback on the last one. Um, you know, we got more stuff coming. Uh, we've got some really great artists in the queue for covers and, and art inside the magazine and all kinds of stuff. And so I think we come to the point in amateur hour when we uh, interview a guest. So Ron, uh, please introduce our, our guest for tonight. Alrighty. So we have uh, Sir James Robert Wright in the house as we speak. He's a... Uh, on site. Yeah, on site. And he's a Freemason too. Can you believe that? There you go. But he's not just any old Freemason. He's a Freemason with an edge, meaning that he has a very sharp, sharp sword. Um, <laughs> but but besides that, I, I've known uh, James since about August of 2015, to be exact, because uh, he was invited to come by the second annual uh, Paranoia Con in San Diego. Uh, and Frater X, our buddy Frater X, uh, um, said, oh, you got to meet this guy, James Robert Wright. He's putting out this book about... Uh, human rights abuses within Freemasonry. And so we met and we hit it off really well. We got drunk together and, uh, yeah, the rest is history for the most part. That is, but, that is the paranoia way. Yeah. Yeah. That was a crazy time. Uh, there was that guy, Jan Irvin, what Gnostic warrior. Yeah. Interesting guy. That's all I'll say. Um, and, of course, Frater X was there. We had Dr. Brian Garrett, who talked about the medical-industrial complex. Um, there were some really good speakers. It was an enjoyable event. And I'm really, really hoping we can start doing a Paranoiacon again. What do you think about that, Olaf? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been, I've been talking to Walter, uh, Walter Bosley, and we're mm-hmm. going to do a we're going to do something in 2019 around uh, the secret space program. It's going to be a, a paranoia event. And then I, I do definitely want to bring back paranoia con. It's just one of those things, you know, you've got to find the people to speak at it. You've got to find the place to have it, you know, and sometimes life gets in the way. So yeah, you know, we're getting paranoia back on track. So yeah, definitely, you know, it's on the list of to do's to, well, I think it's just I focus. It's just a matter of focus. It is. It is. I have no focus. Oh, well. I'm just the okay. weed drifting in the wind, <laughs> releasing spores into the clouds. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but, uh, Ron, come on. I, I know, I know, I know. But uh, getting back to James, our guest here. Yes. Um, we have a guest. So you know, the interesting thing about James, too, is that he was a part of, like, what, seven other secret societies? Oh, good Lord. I don't know. I've lost count. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you're like Golden Dawn and OTO and we were Rosicrucian. Well, no, no. And, and no, no. They, <laughs> they, like the OTO, for example, pestered me to join, but I never quite would. Mm-hmm. I would go to some of their functions and things and their Gnostic masses and all of that fun stuff. And, and they sent me letters 
constantly. I used to have, I guess, probably in the suitcase, yeah, stack of letters, uh, you know, oh, uh, come be initiated, your Minerval degree, and blah, blah, blah. But no, no, I never really had time for that. <laughs> I was always too busy with the the Scottish Rites crap. Mm -hmm. And so, James, uh, tell the audience what you did as a Scottish Rite Freemason. Well, what I specifically did was I ran the building in Dallas, which is sort of a headquarters-ish place, like it was secondary. And um, I mean, not like, well, <laughs> the day-to-day, -day, yeah, hour by hour, because the, the figureheads were very, they would just pop in a little bit here and mm -hmm. there, you know. They're quite lazy in their their attendance, but um, yeah, and so that entailed everything that came through the building normally, abnormally, uh, and there was always a plentiful world of both. Yeah, that was the context of that. So the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, that is the Southern Jurisdiction, Washington, D.C., Supreme Council in their web. Mm -hmm. Which So regarding your... Um status within the lodge and what occurred what was sort of that tipping point where things went a little haywire when being in that building upwards of 90 hours a week and there's like 96 hours in a week uh it was expected more and more to be there in this permanent executive like role to be the little bitch boy and a uh, little fuck boy, whatever you want to call it. And that wasn't going to happen because I was from a, uh, I don't know, I, I just put my foot down finally. Because I was from a proud aristocratic Dallas background and I wasn't going to, you know, be their slap, slap around bitch. <laughs> and that's when, that's when things went haywire. Okay. Haywire. And so then you wrote a book about your experiences. Mm -hmm. And so um, after you wrote the book and it got out, then what occurred? Well, because of writing the book, I got uh, catapulted out to Hollywood. And the publisher there, who didn't know at the time, it turned out that he was OTO. And <clears> that was sort of a little plot of theirs uh, brewing just a little bit of the background of wanting to cause some upset and whatever with Freemasonry in any, any way to facilitate that, by all means, support it. So that was the nature of that book deal, the real reason why it was set up. And uh, then the CEO went down as um, like a Jerry Sandusky-type pedophile character at uh, LACC for what he was doing as a basketball coach there in the uh men's locker rooms filming and, he was filming uh men and boys right yeah well yeah because he was actually uh, a recruiter uh, had that hat he wore as well so he was going around to la area local high schools yeah yeah and setting up yeah. cameras in the uh, shower shower room so yeah yeah uh, pretty and, bizarre and he had he had inherited the book label new falcon from his father, Dr. Christopher Hyatt, 
big a Golden Dawn occultist. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting cast of Golden Dawn OTO characters along that road. That's where that went. Yeah. Next. <laughs> well, and then the other thing um, that has occurred recently. Um, well, actually, let's go back a little further. <laughs> there, there was a time, what, like about three years ago, where um, you were asleep in your apartment and some guy came running into your room. And what occurred? Yeah, that was right after I moved to Highland Park. And I was living off Fig, and um, there, there was no signs of force. I don't know. I just woke up in the middle of the night in my bedroom, locked apartment all by myself, roommate at work, and uh, I had been beaten in the face and uh, was bleeding and ran. The plumbing at the moment was just was bad at the sink in the bathroom, so... I ran for the sink in the kitchen in the front of the apartment and someone had taken a big boiler pot and set it on the stove and dumped out like a whole thing of vegetable oil and a whole thing of Crisco, whatever else was in the kitchen and uh, just left it there on high gas heat. So that was sort of like a ticking time bomb in a, in a wood kitchen, big frothing Boy, you know. And then what about the imprint in your forehead or whatever? Yeah, because I had my little radio show at the time, and uh-huh. uh, it was the Vin, the the head of the the network over there in Ireland, that he did a bunch of like uh, photographic analysis or whatever, and determined that yeah, it was like the imprint of a Masonic ring that was on my in some of the impact marks yeah yeah and then uh just recently um james had uh encountered some of these uh masonic goons and uh maybe you can kind of elaborate what occurred you know prior to that happening in regards to your um, degrees being taken away and then restored (laughs) <laughs> yeah and that mind you this is the first time in history uh within the masonic lodge this has happened so why don't you elaborate james so the uh well yeah because oh god but in there there's so much stuff we'd be here for hours uh so one day <laughs> two years ago in the fall um the grand lodge of romania and the Grand Lodge, well, the Grand Orient of France beyond it, because after all, Romania, <clears throat> Grand Lodge, they were they can only speak for the first three degrees, technically. Uh, the rest has to come from higher authorities. So obviously, Grand Lodge of England, out of the question, uh, then where? So, cue Grand Orient of France alongside uh, Grand Lodge of Romania, and they restored all of my uh, degrees that had been, you know, expunged, expelled, blah, 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 blah. Because you were a big mouth, right? Yeah, yeah, that. And um, <laughs> criticizing Freemasonry both publicly and privately, it's, it's, the, the quote was in the papers. So, yeah, did that, and um, 
then they got super shitty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean so, so let's let's start let's start back at the beginning. So how how did you become affiliated with Freemasonry? Oh, it always been around. It always uh, growing up. It, it was in that uh that family, that part of town, that culture there in Dallas, all of it thick thick thick. And so over time you you were kind of enculturated into it, so it was logical, I guess, that, that you would join it. Yeah, well, it was sort of an elitist view, kind of, because it was like, you know, well, there's that, that, go get that over with, learn the language, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. that was that was sort of the... <laughs> so, the so you got into it. it. So you got into it, you started to to move up the ranks and to go through. Yeah, the you did it really quickly too. You did it really fast, right? How, oh, yeah. how long did it take you? To get oh, it was just a couple months between each of my, <clears throat> my degrees. Yeah. So man, he and just so, skyrocketed. So was in, in retrospect, was there a reason why you skyrocketed? Were they prepping you to become at an executive level in this in this lodge in Dallas? Yeah, well, I did. There was a, a I learned the memory work really fast because there was a guy at my lodge uh, where I was initiated in Dallas on Forest Lane uh, who was willing. He, not only did he live right down the street from me, but he was like, had you know, worked from home. So it was like you'd hang out there in the afternoon and you know, run through the memory work, you know, again and again, kind of like uh, learning lines on on a play is a lot what it's like, except there's no script. So it has to spill down from, uh, you know, that's mouth to ear, oral tradition. And uh, I guess I had an advantage, of course, in how quickly I was able to learn it. It was, so I just figured, you know, well, screw it. <laughs> just get this over with. And so I did. Yeah. Yeah. So from my understanding, I, I'm not a Mason, but from my understanding, it's a lot of questions and answers. You, they ask you a question and you provide a scripted answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You have to get it perfect with military precision, at least in Texas you do. Right. Maybe some other Grand Lodges are a bit sloppy, but um, yeah, you. So it is kind of long and dry, and boring and tedious. And I used to say, you know, why can't we just have like a book on tape or something of this to learn it that way at trend speed? But uh, yeah, no, it was you know, uh, there was one case, famous case of like Red Skelton. Uh, he had photographic memory, so he did like all his degrees in one day. Mm. But uh, there's also been Masons on the down low who are quite wealthy who did all their degrees in one day. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Large check. Mm -hmm. New swimming pool. <laughs> That's the way the world works. <laughs> so, okay, I so guess, you've gotten, uh, so you've gotten. I'm assuming up to, you know, the 33rd degree and you're at the very top of the heap, right? Yeah. Well, I wasn't a 33rd by the, they had not eat. Yeah. 
that was like a sort of little that's a thing they like to dangle that's a carrot right. okay. if you buy into that you know that, oh, my 33rd i gotta get my 33rd <laughs> Uh, but no, I was surrounded by 33rds and a 33rd working. Technically, I should have been a 33rd, actually, to have that job and be in that position in that building. Yeah, but but no, I was the youngest ever at 28. <laughs> so, okay, so you're at the top of the heap. So now you start working in the, the southern headquarters, so to speak, and, and you're moving people in and out through the building and you're dealing with setting things up when, and I guess you're, you're getting more and more tired of having to deal with it and the hours and the the stuff you got to deal with. So you come to a point where you decide you're going to write a book. Is that when you decided or you just decided to leave at that point? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the quickest, easiest way to boil a lot, just series of, torrid tales <laughs> down quickly sure, we want is, people to buy uh, the book right <laughs> well it's the, when, when masons out there also have to understand whether they want to hear it or not or know about it or not is uh there's like this nice lovely six seven o'clock p.m world of freemasonry that exists with these little functions and little things that they do in their dinners and do 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 and lodge meeting and over and everybody's like out and cleared by nine ten, uh, and then there's this other world of Freemasonry that's more like two three four in the morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the one that ultimately is the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one that's deeply occulted. Right. So they need to just have a little bit better if they don't want to believe all this. Uh, you know, hang out in their major city around the epicenter of Freemasonry there and uh, go there at the building at those hours and see what's going on. Yeah, always, Have you ever witnessed struck. any of that? Well, like in um, right after uh, Roma- Romania and France did that, Romania says, We'll just find a lodge in the Los Angeles area and go. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I do. And I picked North Hollywood Lodge because it seemed like, from my knowledge of lodges, like a good match. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go here. So I do. And at first it was fine. But then, like, on the third night there, uh, they'd gotten a visit from Grand Lodge of California and told them they, they didn't like this setup. <laughs> and so uh, I was told that I could no longer attend lodge there at that lodge. I said, well, at this lodge, what about other lodges? And they didn't like that question. So that they didn't, they didn't answer it at the time. So I pushed the issue and went into other lodges, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, that caused quite a stir there. And yeah, that's, that's one of your, um, you know, I matter of fact, I think they've had complaints and almost been kicked out of where they rent from because um, they they hang out in the parking lot till crack of dawn there. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The hardcore ones, yeah. So you can always, you know, Freemasonry has its moonlighting, little nightlife hours, whatever. Those are the dark occulted ones. So. Okay, so back to Dallas. So you're you're managing the building, and so 
you know, the, there's the kind of warm and fuzzy Freemasonry that probably 99.9% of all Freemasons know, right? You know, they, they go, right. they do their rituals, they, which are, are, you know, pretty commonly known at this point, but they go, they do a few things, they hang out. And then, as you said, they're all cleared out by nine o'clock. Now, I'm assuming you're still managing operations as it cruises toward this this more dark and nefarious Freemasonry that doesn't involve 99.9% of all Freemasons, right? Oh, yeah. And also of them that are just building. normal guys. They go, they go for the fraternity of it, the hanging out of it, and the rituals are, are interesting and the history is amazing. You know, I've had Masons in my family. You know, mm-hmm. they were normal out by 9 o'clock kind of Masons, and they enjoyed helping people and doing all the good, the warm and the fuzzy, the good stuff. The philanthropical so, aspect of Freemasonry. Yeah. yeah, which is which is very powerful. You know, I mean, the Shriners Hospital does some amazing stuff, and and you know the, you know, it should be said that that the the Masons do do a lot of good, and and that's again the ninety nine point nine percent of them. Now you're in the building, and you're cruising toward, you know, the dark and nefarious time, which is midnight, one a.m., two a.m., three a.m., whatever you're still in the building as you're going toward that time or are you kicked out too? Well, I mean, once I, once I threw the brakes and, and departed, you know, did like the pack up a box of stuff in my desk and, and get the hell out of there moment. Uh, up to that, I was always there. I mean, always there pretty much. So, all those hours of the night, and they're, um, you know, they have all these little concordant bodies that by invitation only, uh, degrees and things, little splattering of them. And so all those groups meet and uh, conduct the business they conduct, which is really the business of the lodge, of how it's really run, not, you know, what comes out of what they all vote on in a lodge meeting and what, you know, what all the guys veeing for positions and titles and and on an ego trip are there to try and get and the occult side of it and because they think they're going to get power through that and blah 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 so yeah it it makes for an interesting mix of personalities right but did you know what was going on did you have an inkling as to i was warned before i ever like Took that job, both took that job and went and just became a Scottish Rite Mason and went 32nd because um, there were a couple guys that like knew me, knew my family, and that did like seek out, like, come over and need to see us, talk to you, and, and make a point to tell me, like, maybe you should not, you know, <laughs> go to the Scottish Rite because it could be problematic later you know it could cause problems for you so you have like a uh, I did have a bit of a, yeah a bit of a, a crisis of consciousness or conscience well no I didn't I didn't really think that much of it I thought well if you're there you're a part of it you're saying that to me now obviously right. it can't be that bad or you're that bad or, or whatever so yeah it's like whatever <laughs> so so when you get when you get to the darker the, the occultist part of it, right? This midnight on. So mm-hmm. what are we talking? What are we talking about as far as like occult activity in in this Masonic building? 
Well, they like to come in there with equi- at least this is what was going on in Dallas that they were quite. Yeah, we'll fond stick of. to we'll stick to Dallas because you were in Dallas, <laughs> which you, mm-hmm. you saw with your own eyes. Yeah, um, bringing in all the the kind of uh, like things, fancy toys you'd expect to see on like a ghost hunter show or whatever, that type of crew and equipment, but just no show and, and kept mm-hmm. quiet and uh, play with that stuff, see what kind of readings they can get, study that. Uh, so they're like, bearing in mind that building is like 120 years old. So, and all the rituals and things that have gone down, it's just other things that have gone to it having a lot of energy inside of it. Uh, trying to measure and, and better understand that and conducting more ritual to try and bring about the other end of that and the readings of it. And so, you know, so is this interesting mix <laughs> of... Uh, so they're, they're doing rituals to try to summon things or they're doing rituals to try to... You know, they're doing it's it's pretty much a hodgepodge. They're doing whatever they feel like really doing that that moment uh, in relation to God knows what. It's it's chaotic. It's whatever they might be personally into uh, something that one of them is say doing over at the Golden Dawn that has nothing. Okay, it should have nothing to do with that department, but mm-hmm. they're there in that space and they're you know because it's they're so leveraging these, the space. They're le- yeah. leveraging the space and the secrecy of it to to experiment with rituals that they learn somewhere else. That well, yeah, they're there in the first place because the Scottish Rite, unfortunately, right now is like the main political party and power of Freemasons mm-hmm. in right. America. So so long as they are that uh, ruling elite party in the and Masons, so a lot of them, there's a lot of Masons who be like, what? what, what do you? That's not even possible. What are you talking about? Meaning uh, it's the presence that's in every room of every lodge everywhere in America right now, whether you see it or not. It's there in the corner in the back room, you know, in in the ears of whoever making decisions if they're not directly and uh, always supporting and and going in the direction in the favor of of them and and their. Well, it's like any it's like any organic entity right that they're you know in, in freemasonry you know you have different groups all around and different rights all around but you know right right a, and a larger you... political structure that the, the guys at the top are you know the, what you're saying is that the decisions that they're making are influenced by other people who are kind of higher on the totem pole who are more tend to be more scottish right at this point yeah, in America, yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to go through Freemasonry, the Blue Lodge, and come out of that uh, sort of like this equal opportunity um, for whatever development in whatever hemisphere or you know, right? Subgrouping, like you mentioned, the Shriners. So that's Shrine is an option. Uh, York Rite, Templar, all the way, strictly only is an option, and so that system is what is a bit broken at the moment and the Scottish Rite has an un uh, uh, pretty much unfettered grip on sort of where the conversation goes politically there and then there's so they're the ones responsible if a TV show 
is filming something for Discovery or whatever History Channel on Freemasonry. They okay, well, let's look up who who's listed as the the go to guys, the the spokespeople for Freemasonry. So then they looked that up, and it's Scottish Rite, Supreme Council, Washington D.C. Right. So, really? so these 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 after hours events that that you're witnessing is <coughs> more it's more like a like an old you know old boys club experimenting with things that they had learned somewhere else and they're in this building that has a, quite a bit of energy just by its very nature and they're, they're oh, yeah. experimenting with stuff and they've got all the gadgets and they're trying to see what the res- results are and oh they got what they came around. for they every time they got what they came for they just you know so, they <laughs> They didn't want to talk about that with the they didn't want to talk about that with the general membership. They most especially didn't want to talk about that with the public because they said the quote that was thrown at me one day uh, was uh, we didn't wouldn't want the whole city thinking of this building as the Mason's House of Horrors. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're very much aware of of what's going on up there. Like on the top floor, it's closed down to the public and even most Masons that go in there just for their lodge meeting because you've got a lot of spiritual, otherworldly kind of turbulence up on that floor. And that's where a lot of that stuff goes on at that hour. Yeah. So, okay, so so what you're saying is a, a lot of the guys at the top, at least in the Dallas, this Dallas lodge, they were all like RTO. Yeah. Yeah, so they were like OTO or Golden Dawn or, you know, fill-in-the-blank occultist organization as well as being the leaders of that lodge. Yeah, they got their hands in all those pies, you know, and that and that's – OTO's got their own agenda. Not that it matters. Uh, <laughs> all the half dozen other of them do too. Not that it matters. So – they all do their thing, and and I guess everybody wants to be the top guy, or thinks they can, or chase the carrot, or what? The, what the? It's too much egos, too much titles, too much BS. Sure. So at this point, you you've seen enough of this uh, turbulent behavior going up on this top floor, <clears throat> and you decide I'm out. Right. I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, between, between that and then be the, the the fiddle the fiddle diddle boy. Uh, no, <laughs> it was too much. It was way too much. You know, I don't I don't mind a little bit of esoteric occulted. Like, ooh, this is interesting. You know, to, to study as they do with the research society there and all that. But then to see that. Uh, fall into the hands and go be put into action of guys who you just know are spiritually on the inside decaying. Mm-hmm. Right. Be- and they have nefarious intentions as well. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. Now, now was the occultism that they were doing up on that top floor, was that being filtered down to the rest of the lodge in any way or was it completely isolated and like totally secret? Oh, I would say it was of course spilling down because at the time, 
they were having that big upsurge that they had of young guys joining that they couldn't explain, which is sort of like their big last chance. Around what, the, what was the time frame of that? Oh, early 2000, like 03, 04, uh, on to about uh, 2011, mm-hmm. 12. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, huge upsurge, but... Uh, but you had a lot of them who were just so foul and so detestable to be around um, who were in charge of whole entire lodges, several, many um, in their area or whatever. Uh, they made a lot of young guys that came in who probably would have had potential under normal circumstances, uh, you know, get soured and, and run off and not come back, not finish their degrees. Uh, just be very, very turned off, and understandably so. <clears throat> so at this point, you're you've quit and you you leave the the executiveness of the lodge. And is yeah, that when you I decided to write Freemasonry, I quit the job. Yeah, you quit the job, right? And so you quit the job. To be clear, you quit quit the job. Now at that point, uh do you decide to write the book or are you just angry and being more vocal? I didn't make the decision to get the, the call that turned out to be a setup from new Falcon by the OTL. Uh, till about a year and a half in. Yeah. And, uh, during which time I was always trying to get them to do something about, the problems as I reported them. Uh, right, because you from, reported them to the hierarchy, of the, the weird stuff that they're doing. Oh, right. Yeah, well, and that, you know, this is going on and uh, it's out of control. It's affecting me, you know, do something about it. And then they wanted no part of that. None. And And they were aware of it. So... Oh, they were of course so you, very aware. They were so aware that, that yeah, <laughs> uh, Every, everything you, ultimately done in that building it was turned over to them, and and any kind of really? security camera footage or any kind of server computer oh. server activity is all them. They can that's purely at their disposal the whole time, the whole so, entire time. So so you leave the job, and you're you're now free. So. What are you doing at that point? Uh, becoming increasingly rapidly more and more on the run because the book because you have their secrets. Yeah, the book happened. The book deal went down. So they said spit one out. So I did. It was just sort of like a rapid diary of what had gone down, like incident by incident pieced together in a timeline of, you know, comparatively speaking, how you go through the lodge to begin with. Mm-hmm. Right. And they were not happy about that. Did you name names? <laughs> yeah. 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 There was, yeah, yeah. There was, there was emails and texts and all kinds of juicy, juicy stuff that went into the composition of that book. <laughs> names were named. Oh Yes. And and so, so in the process of this, you moved to Hollywood, North Hollywood. 
Yes, that's where New Falcon and all that was located. And they said, come out here. We've got an apartment and a Porsche, a red Porsche Boxster for you. So I did. Now, and... now during, during all this, are you, were you ex- starting when you were still working there? Were you an experiment? Because I, I know from the intro that you also did stuff in Golden Dawn and some of these other organizations. Did you do that because of what you had seen or was that later? Well, um, I was a favorite to have around for rituals and things uh, or, you know, or take a, take a role in them because of their <laughs> love, hate relationship with the bloodline kind of stuff and the talk of genetics and, uh, what you're able sort of, it's, it goes down a rabbit hole. Yeah. What you're sort of able to be a, a good little ritual conductor of okay. if you're of that sort of the bloodline genetic train wreck. So, so they 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 liked having you around because of your bloodline. Yeah, because it's helping them to get the desired effect from yeah, a ritual for reading a measurement uh, of whatever they they're trying to get in that moment. Okay. Okay. Are they like trying to bottle it up? Information. (laughs) Yeah. So now were they doing these activities out of curiosity or were they trying to summon stuff? I mean, what, what was the objective? Yeah. Yeah. Curiosity, summon stuff. uh, If, if summoned, what kind of, information can we glean from it type yeah so it was like from a scientific perspective almost right yeah yeah it always had that that angle going on again because they wanted to be able to they would let their wet dream is to be able to synthesize it you know and have it right in a controllable like one of them like take a pill or have a shot a vaccine and and be able to do this or this and naturally uh, they're not going to be able to do that. They got to have somebody to actually call it up from that, you know, cause certain, <laughs> certain brands of magic run in certain kind of lines, like the Cherokee thing and the medicine man deal. You can't be one without the other. So it's just not possible and that stuff's very real so they're kind of little stinky freemason uh brand of magic is something that is you know nordic celtic in origin so they gotta go for the root of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they did have a fascination with uh various types of native american groups especially Mm -hmm. the cherokee didn't they Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that which they haven't participated in financing the destruction of. Yeah. <laughs> With their crony capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you, so you were kind of introduced to the OTO and the Golden Dawn and these other groups through the activities on this top floor. And it sounds like you kind of eventually became a part of that 
because it was all linked together. The the same people were involved in both, and and you were you were the conductor. You were a good conductor. Right. Well, see, the a, Golden Dawn. That's the Golden Dawn are the ones that you can't pin them down because there's no really way for anybody outside of that to remotely possibly identify another member because it's so scattered and some of them uh compartmentalized kind of oh there's there's members that live so remotely maybe in parts of the mountains in europe or somewhere weird like that that uh they they purchase their materials their ritual books they have it all shipped to them and they study it out there all alone in the mountains (laughs) so you never know who they are what the so the Golden Dawn can't really be uh, down or isolated or found in a room unless they're trying to be. They, they do surface from time to time in some numbers. But the OTO? Eh. The OTO is really nothing more than a, an Aleister Crowley fan club meeting, honestly, like any branch. I mean, that's kind of how ridiculous I see them as. Yeah. So, hey, Olaf, check check this out, Olaf, because um, we haven't really corresponded in a while, uh, James uh-huh. and I, until past couple of weeks. But he has a fascinating story of this woman who he encountered. Can I give the name? Oh, the, the icky. Yeah. The icky snake from Topanga. Karina? Yeah. Her name is Karina Windsor. And uh, she had some very revealing information regarding um, the possible uh, lineage of uh, James. So, James, you want to share that? Yeah. Right. Well, so um, the, <laughs> the family that I grew up with uh, in Dallas were the Browns. So the Browns they already in their genealogy are like six, seven uh, generations down directly out of the Spencers of Althorpe to begin with. So that's probably why they, you know, good buns or ovens for those buns in this in in vitro setting. Cause yeah. Um, So supposedly in uh, (laughs) 81, while Diana was uh, engaged to, Charles, the queen, sent her to the royal OBGYN to be examined to make sure she could do the job of putting out royal brats. And uh, during which time there were five, according to Karina, five uh, embryos, eggs, eggs eggs, uh, harvested and taken into a lab and uh, played with and then... uh, sent to America to, you know, be placed with some families that were, that had ties to dial up like that. (laughs) And what were you? One of those? Yeah. Yeah. So she drops this and, um, it of course sounds like really ridiculous and everything over the top. But then again, at the same time, when, when hearing it, uh, it does kind of make some things 
growing up and you know saw heard like off the cuff like what you know actually makes sense (laughs) and um the thing about it so then if it's also like not something to it uh it immediately wreaked all this havoc and then you know just like when the masons were kind of having a year of not smacking me around a lot <laughs> it was kind of like an easy smooth sailing um yeah then she does that and then that dials up all these like uh intel agents and people who start crawling out from under rocks because apparently she did something very very naughty and uh blurted something out that wasn't supposed to be or or whatever and there's a bigger picture to all of it blah 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 um but the point is is that that you know it did cause real reactions and real like no policies of denial just uh like shut up and she certainly got into a lot of trouble uh with her father charles because she's a little like disco teenage year uh had out a wedlock child of his <laughs> and then she's got this <clears throat> damage going in her head where she feels that she's like his firstborn so she should be queen of england and she may not say that outright but that's what she that's what she fantasizes over i know <laughs> So, um, yeah, it was a power play that I got caught up in, I guess, and she didn't get what she desired out of it, I don't think, and uh, all it did was just cause more commotion and and havoc and stuff. So, <clears throat> they they take five eggs and they, five embryos, well, they're not embryos yet, I guess. Yeah. Right. So they take the, these five eggs and they they scatter them around the United States with specific people, and those eggs are are implanted by IVF and to produce you and four others. So what? Well, what according according to Karina's uh, story of the five, um, this is according to her. <laughs> two of them were William. And then another one later on, Harry, because Diana wore a baby bump because she was too thin and da-da-da-da to carry it. So that they were like all lab hatchlings or whatever is what she was implying. Now, whether that's true or not, I I don't know. And I have no... Well, they look different, though. They look like they probably have different fathers. Yeah. So the, the baby bump was fake. Well, I think the direction she was going and why she kind of jumped the shark and got herself into more trouble than she she didn't really plan the outcome right, I don't think, of her delivery. Uh, it, it implies that Charles may not be William's father, that it could be, okay. you know, anyway. It's going off down yet another rabbit hole, so... Right. Okay. So, so there. That's two. So there are three more. You're one. So there are two others. What was the outcome of the two others? They were sent to the United States as well, or they were sent to other locations, or 
It's unknown. Okay, so according to uh, her account of all of this and what was not like denied by those who got involved with, because of it, um, one was the girl named Sarah or whatever that uh, was in the tabloids. It was in the tabloids majorly about, oh gosh, I don't know, with three, four, five years ago, somewhere in there. Um, Diana's secret daughter. Hmm. And the story ends with um, Kate flying to New York to meet this girl. And then shortly after that, she flies to like something like Tennessee or something weird at, to an airfield to meet with Charles. And that like it didn't go well or something and they ended up having a fight. And then she disappears while in the company of Karina by Karina's own admission uh, on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles and is not seen again except possibly a sighting on some weird Greek island or whatever, but um, presumed dead. We, we, that's according, again, to Karina. And um, then the fifth, I, I don't know. So what, I don't know. what was the... What was the, did she tell you what the objective was to send the three uh, to the United States? I mean, not other than she didn't really go any deeper than like they love their clones and they like their backups. Interesting. So I don't know. I, I don't know what that is. If like one day William needs an organ or if like all of Buckingham Palace was to be bombed with them in it and then they have to pop one up somewhere, I, I don't know. I don't know where where you where all you could go with that in their theories. But in but in your case you were born. So Right. That's inter- that's odd. Because it, it, it begs the question of what what was the objective in, in placing the egg with your parents to produce you well these are also like nazi eugenicists (laughs) to put it bluntly and so in their opinion nothing is really a failed experiment anything if you got more of the bloodline out there well this this sounds like the boys from brazil the movie where, you know, they they took uh, they created clones of Hitler and, and impregnated women with these clones with the genetic material to produce clones of Hitler. <laughs> it sounds kind of like that. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a crazy story, but at the same time, it is I think it's, it's very plausible considering all the things that James has witnessed in his life and gone through and also just sort of the the latest uh, adventures of him, uh, you Um, know, basically being homeless and uh, West Hollywood and being chased by these Masonic goons in which he has a, a recording of one of their conversations. And it was very telling. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so did did you did you approach did you approach your parents about this and ask them or? Uh, 
parents what parents there's there's never been a clear admission by my family in dallas as to who there was there was story after story lie built over lie of who the father was and it was always you know a false answer beneath that and beneath that because their story you know they had quite an intricate lie constructed so my birth certificate is a total forgery and i've got the 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 paper trail beyond that that supports it like oh yes this was changed because i had multiple identities and stuff and before i was two years old even though i was with them that whole time so you're a mystery child yeah the child from the aristocratic family with that has no name on paper what's going on it doesn't look like them what <laughs> yeah so there's no parents to there's the so-called mother that uh you know whatever but um no she made it crystal clear that she wasn't interested in this mess anymore mm-hmm. and uh so that was that so I mean, who took care of you well uh i had an aunt that was aware and apprised of the situation that she felt bad and i guess some sort of sense of duty uh as to why the hell ever the grandparents would have agreed to it or something. So she stepped in and cared for me, but uh, she's she's down for the count these days with Alzheimer's, so she's not able to summon for help on something. Well, it's very interesting. Now, did you... So it, it would explain... Obviously, I mean, if that if that's true, it would explain a lot. You know, why at the time when you were okay with it, you know, why you were sought after by them to conduct these rituals and to be a part of them. I mean, it would definitely explain it. So did you, yeah. now you're talking about the Golden Dawn, did, did you actually participate in actual Golden Dawn rituals or or just with members of it in this top floor of the, the Dallas building? No, there was just a quick little like intro do 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 small little thing in Los Angeles, but um other than that it was like here's the thousand pound book, you know, study it, whatever. It's your own make it your own thing. <laughs> do what you will. So That's in a- when you were in the North Hollywood Lodge, so again you did the same kind of stuff. No, 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 no. North Hollywood okay. was a blip. North Hollywood Lodge was like basically a parking lot fight. And that's really the only part uh, of the story that that is. Yeah. But when you came to California, you were again participating in some of these rituals. No, no. By, by the time I, oh, right. I mean, I was, I was still you were hanging around with Lon Duquette, who's the grandmaster of the OTO. Um, he lives in the OC. So I was hanging out with him and some people of that crowd, but at that point, no. And then also you had a relationship, a uh, friendship with uh, Nicholas Devere, didn't you? Yeah, and he turned up so-called dead uh, the day after I moved to Los Angeles to begin with. Now, who like is I- Nicholas Devere for those who may not know? Well, he was a prolific writer about bloodlines and everything, and there were a crowd with Lawrence Gardner and 
Martin Lund and the Da Vinci Code decoded and all that. And uh, he was a Hungarian prince. And you guys had a good rapport, though, didn't you? Yeah, he was my mentor with the, the dragon stuff. That's the family stuff. Bloodline, dragon, order the dragon, Priory of Scion. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's where the that's where oh. the secret society membership starts to compile, for me. Not with everyday work about crap like the OTO. <laughs> so, that so yeah. Shit. So I, I guess you were. So you were saying that you were members of you were a member of various secret societies. Beyond yeah, those would be the ones. The, ones um, the the dragons and and then what about the Knights Templar? The, yeah, your association well, with them. <clears throat> well, I just I don't know. I kind of ended up being a a sort of a hit with the Templars. That is to say, over in Europe with the management where it comes from still. Because when the situation with me and the Scottish Rite went down, um, they were the ones who were actually like supportive, and they were like, "No, this is wrong, and how could you?" and asking all the right questions. And uh, more people, Masons, that is, should have taken notice because that is where those charters of theirs come from, and they then experience some of that getting taken away, which they still won't acknowledge, but you know, it's out there in writing. <laughs> Cause they, uh, the Templars are headquartered out of London and they do not answer to the Royal family. That's for sure. And they don't answer to the great grand lodge of England or anything like that. It's the other way around. So, yeah, no, I have a perfectly good relationship with the Templars. It's just that, uh, I don't know. They see, I don't know. So, I think that... So you, you've had this amazing experience, right? You, you put it all together. You have this amazing yeah. experience. So what, you know, and, and you wrote a book about it. So what, what is really what you figured out about the whole thing? Um, cause I mean, I, you know, I've written a book, right. When I got done with it, I had a kind of worldview that, that was informed by the research that I had done. So, I mean, when you, when you look back at this entire experience, what, what's the big thing that you take away from it? That I take away from it, that, that Freemasonry and all of the, the whole like lodge system that, that is in the world has gone that it's mostly total bullshit and, and retire it and who cares and just because it's di it's dying anyway. They've fucked it into the ground so hard that it's likely beyond repair at this point. Situations like mine only make that worse on the, because of how it turns around and then looks. Uh, right. But I mean, I pale because I pale in comparison to a good you know, bathroom scandal, fucking cameras and all this type of shit. So right. that, that's what truly wrecks them with their public. But, um, and how they cover up for one another too. Oh yeah. Shamelessly cover up and just, which is what they always say to do. So of course they do. 
So I took away that that's, that that's a load of crap, that you don't need okay. it, and that um, any of that information or enlightenment or, or so whatever the hell can be attained simply because you live in the age of Google. So you find it and don't get roped into snake oil and, uh, you know, you too can become a learned ritual person or, or esoteric or whatever, you know, whatever flavor you want to go with. But if you want to be involved in the bloodline drama and saga and all that crap, then uh, that's uh, that's a you either are or you aren't type of thing that that is definitely part of what's affecting the outcome of the larger whole with all those orders because they all kind of know they got to have a little bit of it because of the way that they originate and are, are set up. Well, yeah. I think that's what I'm getting. I think that's what I'm getting at is that when you, you go through this entire experience and you, you gain an, an insane amount of knowledge about how the different components, whether it's, the golden dawn or the OTO or the, you know, the bloodline thing or the Masons, you, you've attained a, a fairly substantial amount of knowledge about how the whole system works because what you describe as a web, right? That, that it's a mesh. They're all meshed together in some way. The, again, the 99.9% .9 of all Masons, you know, they show up and they, they hang out with their friends they do a few rituals, have a beer, go home. But there, there's an, order of magnitude beyond that, which is the 0.1.001% that were those guys up on the top floor doing the occultist and esoteric stuff. But you, you've gained a level of knowledge about the, the whole system. What, what did you figure out about the whole system in general? Right. That is, it's so largely irrelevant. It's just yeah. a bunch of uh, needless, pointless titles and officers and things that micromanage something that can't even be contained, the, the sheer energy of it and what it does and where it goes and and all of that. And the fact that it comes from the Templars to begin with, so it has all of that energy and stuff fused into it that's constantly going on that they would like to deny now and kind of delete all that and forget about it but they can't so they're in quite a predicament with their own setup so but is there so when you talk about the bloodline stuff right is is there an objective that they're after because like installing you you know taking that let's say that the what the woman said was true just for the sake of argument, let's let's not dissect it too much and just say, fine, it's true. Putting you there, they put you there for a reason. They, it's not. It had to be calculated, and it, I don't. I don't think that it's necessarily just they they want a, a clone sitting out in Dallas for some reason. There has to be a, a large. It has to be a point on a larger map of what they're trying to get done. Do, do you get what I'm saying? The, the, the yeah, no, if you, if you want to have a little agent boy running around, uh, then you're going to want one who is part of the family, checks, right? Yeah, well, that and yeah, able, therefore, to conduct that sort of energy, like the Force right. in Star Wars, you know, 
kind of through you more yeah. effectively. Like more, you have more midi chlorians, little blonde boy. So exactly. yeah, one, that type of setup. <laughs> yeah, but so so knowing that that you were put into that location, you rose through the ranks. You were exposed to this stuff. You you participated in this stuff. You know, is and and that spawned you understanding more about the bloodline thing and and you know the the dragon the you know and all that kind of symbolism and and about the amount of symbolism that exists and the Templars and this and Cyan and all this other stuff. Did you ever deduce what the point of the whole thing was? I mean, you know, like the OTO, right? There's the famous story of of uh, Jack Parsons and and L. Ron Hubbard going out and doing the you know the the um, Babylon, Babylon working. They wanted, yeah, they they wanted True to story. create the right. They they wanted to create you know the homunculus and then the world, you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing. I mean, are are they take the the Dallas thing and put it to the side for a minute? The larger construct of this power structure that exists are they trying to end the world are they trying to control it you know i mean what what's the objective that they have in mind what are they trying to do they well apotheosis is the ultimate wet dream of where that ritual stuff goes the ascendance to a sort of godlike uh superhuman type of you know so the superman yeah yeah and i found that there was always a lot of resentment on that level because you had guys in the room controlling the room who were not right. of that. And they were very bitchy, <laughs> to put it one way, toward the young ones who were because it was almost like, you know, this sort of like cantankerous old man, like, ugh, you little shits you know, type of attitude of, of what we could do and what they couldn't. And so they're like giving the the orders yet, uh, the commands, you know, they, they carry themselves out however they, they do. And you can't alter that other realm, that other dimension, wherever it all comes from. And if you're, so if you're remote viewing or whatever, you know, you can't reach in and, and pull in, pull in and tell them what they want to hear. You tell them what they're going to hear, what the information is, and they either like it or don't. And, but it's not your fault, the messenger for, mm-hmm. for giving it to them, so to speak. Well, the, there's also the resentment, right? That they, they can't do it themselves. They have to tell you to do it is probably part of it. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Total, total resentment, total animosity. They wish that they could synthesize it, but they can't. So they have to pull in these little, you know, free-willed, free-spirited, feisty reptilian, most likely, <laughs> uh, kids, <laughs> and try their best to control and manipulate them. You know, you've spoken several times about them wanting to synthesize it to, you know, at one point you were talking about, they'd like to distill it down to a pill or something of that nature where they could take it. And then suddenly, you know, they, they're, they have the ability to do what you did for them. Do they, are they, it sounds like they're actively trying 
to synthesize it. I mean, I know, I know that you were saying that the, that the activities in Dallas were more chaotic, but as the objective, objective observer of it, and just listening to the story, although the, the moments may, from my take, the, the moments sound like they were chaotic, but it sounded like they were, they were trying different options to get different pieces of information from different entities or things or whatever. But also the, oh, yeah. the scientific equipment, it very much sounds like they were messing around to see, you know, obviously what would happen if we try this and what happens when this happens to see if they can duplicate it. So it was like R&D. It almost sounds Yeah, like but they, they flat out cannot duplicate it. You're talking about, like, situations. No, for, for example, where, uh, like, if I'm in a room and I'm able to control the electricity in the room because of my ability to tell whatever entity is in the room to do so. Right. So it's not actually me doing it. It's just my oh, ability okay. to dial that on the phone and, and say it. And... Yeah it do it then that is of great interest to them and that it, that is something right. that they wish that they could have on tap so as long as they've got boys around from the right uh stock they can if, if yeah they're and behaving. that's what it sounds like that that they're it the the takeaway that i get from the whole thing is that they that you're you're carrying out various rituals for them and they're recording it and analyzing it to see if they can duplicate it they may never be able to but it doesn't stop them from trying to understand it to be able to duplicate it you know so yeah. it, it sounded like a weird kind of occultish r&d facility where they keep they keep trying and they keep recording it and you're they're understanding more about the interaction of you and the entity, but they're not able to do it without you, but they keep recording and hoping they can find a, a way to do it. Is that? Yeah. Accurate? Yeah. They, they wish they could, they wish they could get the mumbo jumbo of a ritual, right? Not that that's even relevant in, in the, the true essence of it, but, but that's the, yeah, they can't, <laughs> They need that one thing that is the conductor that, that, that causes that fusion between this and that. And because uh, it's, it's a specific thing they're dialing up. They're dialing up what you refer to, I guess, as the dragon mm -hmm. and uh, and going into the <laughs> the the, uh, the 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 ether, mm -hmm. the, the other realm, you know, via that because of what you biologically are here in this manifestation. So that's your little. So you're kind of like a catalyst too. Yeah. In a sense. You're, yeah. you're a conduit. You're, you're, yes. you're the conduit. You're, you're the bridge between yes. the two points. And that's, that's interesting. It's, it's interesting because although it sounds chaotic, it does sound like they're, they had an objective in the, the various things that they were trying were just different options, you know, to see, okay, well, if we do this one, this happens. If we do that one, this happens. If we do that one, this happens. And they're trying to correlate it. That that's very, very, very interesting. That, yeah. Not to, well, not to mention what kind of state they're constantly keeping me in because keeping right. me in one 
form of a state or another excited in this way or the other uh, that they know chemically enhances, uh, you know, whatever else is going on in in this biological process. And then so they're going to get an even more enhanced version of of this or that. so yeah, yeah, things like you know keeping you full of adrenaline all the time, keeping you full of uh, endorphins. Those t- uppers take you in an uppers way, a downers way, <laughs> uh, and then yeah, try and affect the outcome like that. Various ways of testing it out. Yeah, you're a lab rat. Yeah, well, that's what they love to call me when they're mad and and doing their, their talking their smack. Yeah, lab rat. That's my name. That's interesting, but that that denotes a larger program. You know, it, it would be very interesting to know who was giving them their orders because it sounds like somebody was giving them orders as far as what to try and how to try it, what different variations to try to you know increase the output or increase the the intensity of it or whatever. You know, if you do it this way, the link between you and the dragon is, you know, it's stronger if you do this. It's weaker if you do that. If you're trying to make it do this, then you need these other, you know, these other stimuluses to make the connection stronger. It sounds very directed. Very interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, well, um, what you just said about it being a larger thing, that's actually, you know, I was one, one point paid a little visit by a little Jesuit agent uh, who came to specifically talk about some things related to the petri dish matter? And uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's what he said was that you know, careful, this is a slippery slope because this is just one instance of a larger program that's going that would you know, if it came out and it became a household thing talked about in that way, it's going to bring up other questions like, oh, so. You mean they've been like like our government's been doing cloning back since time immemorial and and all this kind of other well, stuff that follows down that theme. It also, when you say Allen Memorial, you're talking about what was going on at the Allen Memorial Institute in Montreal. Yeah, or the um, well, the OSS migrating becoming um, the, CIA. the CIA. Gotcha. Project Paperclip. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, a a lot of this stuff, this sort of uh, scientific way of uh, analyzing these type of occult powers kind of reminds me of what the Nazis were doing, too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same, probably same guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Or or the next, you know, the third generation of the same guy. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but it, it's what, pre, it's a pretty your, bizarre life, huh, James? Well, what, <laughs> what's really interesting though is is this idea that if what she told you is true, that when they when they extracted the five eggs, two are the two sons. There's the daughter that disappeared. There's you, and there's one that's unaccounted for. But one mm-hmm. of the things that you said when you were talking about what she said to you was that they had taken it, taken the eggs, excuse me, taken the eggs and and manipulated them. And, and that's, that's very interesting as well, that at some level there was some genetic potential genetic engineering that was occurring. Yes, they were, they were 
tinkering with it for sure. Uh, and that's, and then, that's you know, so then there's other things that that's going to tie into, like I was just saying. So that would open the door into other right. discussions of like super soldiers and other shit because uh, it would all be, I guess, housed under that same blueprint of a black ops uh, happenings, goings ons. <laughs> well, the the well the the whole objective behind the Liebensborn program. Exactly, was, I was going to bring that the up. Nazis. Yeah, mm-hmm. was to, was to produce the the Nietzschean concept of the Ubermensch, the Superman. Right, the Aryans. Yeah, but they and they actively did engineering to, you know, in their case, you know, we're we're at least led to believe that it was more simplistic because of the technology that they supposedly had at the time, but you know, publicly, of course, but that they were doing by mixing different things they were trying to produce a superman and that sounds very much like the you know what you're talking about that it's more the the english implementation of the you know the uh, ubermensch program right and whatever happened to those children that were part of that program where did they go they were adopted out well they were they were adopted out into different families somewhere i mean one of the singers from ABBA is is a product of that program. Mm-hmm. Agnetha Falstock, she she is, will not talk about it, but she was a product of the Levensborn program, supposedly. And I, I don't Crazy know. Crazy stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about <laughs> the, when you talk about the realm of shit, Karina says, um, it has a funny way of turning out to be not only true, but like worse than you thought with some of it, not always all of it, but, um, she is definitely someone who has been in the know and exposed to things. I have my own theories and takes on, you know, what all I believe to be wrong with her, but, uh, it's irrelevant. It would just be tacky to go into all that. Uh, she, she came into my life as this Johnny Come Lately sister and had all these public statements to make regarding the origins. And it was definitely with a, a self-serving for Karina, by Karina um, agenda. So it is what it is. Um, I certainly don't get anything from it. She, I know she thinks she does. She's going to get the keys of the kingdom or some crap over there. But yep, <laughs> sure. It's definitely a very interesting story, and it has very interesting implications. I will say that. Yeah, I, I guess for the ones who who put it all in place, it sure does have questions. I guess they would be concerned and worried the direction it's going. Well, what what you said it opens more lines of question than it closes yes yes every around every turn that's the annoyance of mine personally with this is it's like you find something out you find the answer to one thing but then it just (laughs) been more questions it's a whole other hallway of doors yeah yeah because i mean you know it it sounds like what, what we're really talking about it's not a you know the the 
it sounds like the the hierarchy of the Masonic Lodge is complicit in whatever this program is. But it's not yeah. masonry in general, you know. It's it's the hierarchy of it that are complicit in this program because it definitely sounds like a program to me. I mean, oh yeah, and you can, you can find that um you can find paper trails of that readily easily about like at their ties to Stanford Research and um the and and those type places yeah and and funding those programs the MK Ultra yeah the the paper trail is totally there Tavistock Institute too yeah most likely of course yeah. And you just look at their their investment portfolios at the Scottish Rite, you know, and they're invested in every damn <laughs> pharma pharmaceutical and and oil company, just like you would expect Doctor Evil to be. And uh, it's all very uniform and is uh, in a lot of ways just you know like a lot of people I'm sure su suspect. Very interesting. It's going to make me do a lot of thinking. <laughs> he should write an article for Paranoia. Well, I mean, it, it opens up a lot of a lot of questions. I mean, it, you know, people people do things for reasons. They don't just do things. There's always an objective. And if you're carrying out a program like that. You know, and you know what's funny is that it also sounds oddly like the my favorite uh, Nick Redfern book about the Collins elite, those guys that you know the scientists that they paid to try to open doorways to hell and all that crazy stuff, summon entities. It sounds very similar to what you know to what James is talking about. That, mm -hmm. but it you know it was in that case it was government funded. But it could have also been just one tentacle of a larger web. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because it's very consistent. I mean, the same kind of thing, probably minus the uh, the abuse part of it, where they're, you know, they're messing with you and and you know all the that the negative aspects of your your experience. Those guys, it was more scientific, and I don't I don't think that. I think it was more secular, so to speak, but, you know, it, it definitely sounds very similar and it makes you wonder, you know, how many of these, these research outposts, so, so to speak, that there are around the world where they're trying these, these various things with different people because different people produce different results. You know, your, your connection to the bloodline may be stronger than, than, you know, subject 22, but subject 22 can do certain things that you can't, but you'd still have to have, you know, various subjects being tested the way that you were. And the, the idea of being right, able to yeah. synthesize it. Well, even like the, the remote viewing that. stuff, there's, there's stuff that just, you know, that I'm not going to be able to see it a certain way or, or get a hold of it a certain because, you know, it's a little bit different for everybody. So, um yeah <laughs> yeah hey, Olaf I was just thinking I was just thinking too that there was a um a project I don't believe it was one of the 149 sub projects of MK Ultra um but it was close 
in that what they were doing, the U.S. government back in the 1950s were experimenting with um, individuals that were had both Cherokee and Celtic bloodlines, the combination of the both of them, because yeah. um, both the Cherokees, uh, well, especially the Cherokees, had a very high propensity, excuse me, high propensity for uh, having high IQs as well as uh, very high psychic ability, as well as did uh, people of Celtic origin. And so there's a guy by the name of Duncan O'Finian who came out with a lot of information regarding that. I mean, even though he's somewhat of a train wreck, uh, there were a lot of other people who also came out uh, eventually saying that they were part of this experiment who were both Cherokee and of Celtic origin and were part of like this super soldier type program. So yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. And, and I think, I think that train wreck comment is, is very interesting as well. Cause I think mm-hmm. a lot of the people that were used in that capacity, you know, they, their lives post testing is very train wrecky. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring him up. Yeah, Duncan? Yeah, I have a recent kind of a Duncan story. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, uh, I probably shouldn't say the name of the person, but uh, <laughs> someone that knows him, not even someone from in this country, um, said that he was supposed to, like, um, be helping to, like, somehow get me somewhere, safe house me or something like six months ago. Okay. And they're about, but then, uh, it, yeah, well, yeah, because I was still in damn Dallas, um, right before I flew back to LA and anyway, it supposedly didn't happen or whatever because, uh, threats were made and told like, you know, you better fucking not or something because his, I mean, allegedly, I'm being told this third person by the contact in between the two of us is that he, like, same, same department, Mm -hmm. same department after y'all's asses or something. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but he was uh, an experiment with uh, DARPA, Department of Defense, CIA. Yes. Yes. So I've got Department of Defense taking me out to five-star dinners Mm -hmm. in Los Angeles. So. But it's just interesting how it all sort of uh, kind of comes together when time. you start looking at some of these types of uh, rogue experiments done by right. the the Freemasons and also by our intelligence agencies, sort of like these joint efforts and to create well, whether these uh, super spies or these super soldiers and, uh, you know, it's all sort of compartmentalized too. It's like on one hand, yeah, they might be like this, but then they also fulfill another role, and that's the the bloodline aspect of it. But the 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 masonry connection, it seems, again, objectively, you know, it because it, it's not my field of research, but it it seems very much like that's the conduit, that that's the communication medium. It's. You know, these guys, what they were doing, you know, was sanctioned because it was tolerated, but it wasn't part of the program, so to speak. It's not like it was Masonic 
occultism. That's like separate. These guys were doing something yeah. completely off the farm, but it was sanctioned by somebody uh, in the hierarchy of the, you know, by turning a blind eye to it. And it seems like that's, that's using that, that secret society connection because of the secrecy involved in the oaths that you take and the, the ramifications, if you break those oaths and other stuff, it seems like that was more like the control mechanism versus it being like masonry, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well, there's enough, there's enough of the, there, there were plenty of witnesses there. Everybody in Dallas knew what was, that was in the know and directly surrounding the environment and everything. They knew, they knew what was going on, but you know, well, you are they going to say in. anything? I mean, no, because they well, still, the, the key is that you reported it back to HQ and they ignored it. And that there, there's a, there's a, there's a, a link there. Somebody back at HQ, when you were reporting, they were like, Oh, he's speaking up, but you know, we'll just bury it because that was their job in the, in the mechanism, you know, we're all cogs, <clears throat> we're all cogs in a wheel and your, your specific talent made you a specific type of cog. But the guy back at the HQ who was obfuscating this stuff and, and burying it, he was another cog, you know, in a different chain. He was probably another cog in, in a different part of the wheel. That's how that stuff works. But it, it's interesting that they use that as the conduit. That's what it sounds like. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, we are well, 33 minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> Very telling. Yeah, but, 33 uh -oh. minutes over. It was, it was meant no, to know, be, I think. Funny. Well, so now, are you still selling the book or not well uh R ron can speak to this because uh no please do not go to amazon and buy do buy it from new because you're supporting somehow invariably through underground tunneled money uh that pedophile still so uh yeah uh but anyway yeah so don't so don't anyway it. so you know are are you going to be anywhere is there somewhere that the listeners can find you and find out more information Yes, I have my little website that I maintain uh, as as my one of my in my big endeavor in LA. It's crusademedia.org and uh, in it you see a lot of the work that I've done shooting interviews of other whistleblowers and, and things that I kind of like to, you know, profile, work around. Okay. It's it's been nice into the sphere of of activism. But um, not as deep as what we've been talking about, though. Yeah, that's simple stuff. Science and health. You know, chemtrails, vaccinations, <laughs> Monsanto, stuff like that. <laughs> okay, so so uh, people should check you out there. And <clears throat> as far as us, uh, you can find us at ParanoiaMagazine.com. Uh, we're Paranoia Magazine on uh, Facebook, or you can go to Paranoia Mag on Twitter or Paranoia Mags on Instagram. If you go on Instagram, you can follow my my obsession with visiting decommissioned formerly secret transmitter sites and other weird stuff, uh, Cold War relics. Uh, hey, Ron, you know, um, 
the main uh, Voice of America transmitter site. I visited it. Uh, it's about mm, probably about 40 minutes from my house. Get out of here. Really? Yeah, and you know what's yeah, and you know what's hilarious. They sold it when they shut down the the short wave service. They sold mm-hmm. it to a rancher, and so now when you go out there, you know you can see like the the armored uh, gate or armored um, guard box. It's all trashed, and you mm-hmm. can see the the facility. Walk right up to the very edge of it to the uh, fence, <clears throat> and when you look over at the the big old transmitter array. They're like cows walking in between the in between the towers. Hey, can we use that for a paranoia radio? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they left the equipment in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why not? Let's retool it and make it happen. Well, I left a note. Uh, I left a note at the gate because I wanted to try to get inside, but they never contacted uh-huh. me back. Yeah, yeah. but that is kind of neat. But- Especially during the the Cold War era, and how that thing was probably really ramped up. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's next to another transmitter, uh, the Dixon uh, Naval Transmitter is right next door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess there's some. I was researching it. There, there's something weird about the ground in Dixon, California. Um, yeah, that makes it very. Yeah, there's something about the grounding. The way they can ground oh, it, that makes gotcha. that makes uh, the shortwave broadcast extremely powerful from uh, Dixon. So radio transmissions from Dixon, Dixon's like a sweet spot on the West Coast for actually uh, long distance. Mm, I wonder if there's like a ley line or something there. Perhaps there's I a wonder. lot of minerals, dense minerals underneath. Who knows? You know, accurate ley line maps are very challenging to get. They really are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thanks again, everybody, for uh, tuning in to another thrilling uh, podcast and amateur. Well, no, it's an amateur hour, but it's been an amateur one hour, 38 minutes, <laughs> as the clock says. But it was riveting. <clears throat> and, uh, it was compelling. <laughs> it was very compelling. It was a very interesting story that, again, opens up a lot of lines of questions. Um, it's the Freemason dumpster do- fire. <laughs> it's a masonic clusterfuck we're, <laughs> we're gonna do this again very soon uh we'll have more podcasts up soon so definitely you know check us out and uh i don't know ron i think it's time yeah i'm tired i gotta go pee <laughs> no no ron you're supposed to do your closing line ding dong oh yeah yeah okay uh take Let's good care okay ron and uh, take good care and keep the faith all right thanks everybody thanks for listening in thank you Olaf. hallelujah thank you for listening to paranoia radio hosted by Olaf phillips and ron Patton. sponsored by paranoia magazine read it now paranoiamagazine.com intro theme the guide was composed by Scott Moon, scottmoon.net. Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental, professorelemental.com. Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia, 
to watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at osi74.com. We are resuming control for now.